This episode of Fermented Adventure the Podcast features Scott and Julianne Danini. It was recorded at Auburn Road Vineyard and Winery in Piles Grove, New Jersey. Please take a moment to subscribe to be notified when the most recent episode has been uploaded. Feel free to reach out to Auburn Road and let them know what you thought about the podcast. Cheers! Ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, FA Nation, let's meet our guests. We're here at Auburn Road, Vineyards, Winery, and Enoteca. He's Scott Danini. I'm Rich Shane. Dawn Ranieri's here, and we are excited. We're outside. It's a beautiful day. This is great. A little windy, but Scott, we're outside at your winery, vineyard, and enoteca. Right. And I know it's all in one. There's not just one thing that your winery represents. Talk about how Auburn Road got started. How did you and Julianne, your wife yep. and partner and winemaker, and she does a lot of the stuff and she's not with us today, but talk about how you started all of this together. Oh, gosh. All right. Well, I guess the story really starts. Uh, Jules and I uh, were both uh, practicing lawyers in Philadelphia um, and basically Philadelphians for most of our professional lives in college and law school and all that good stuff. Was there an area you grew up in Philadelphia? Well, actually, um, I traveled all over the place as a kid. I uh, spent a lot of time overseas. Uh, I was in Italy for a bunch of years, which I think kind of planted a lot of the seeds of this, honestly. Um, and uh, I really sort of landed in Philly ultimately in college. I went to St. Joe's, as did Jules, and, um, and then ultimately Villanova Law School. So we're kind of a walking, talking holy war. (laughs) Um, No, that's really, you you kind of get at odds with each other. If those on the podcast, Villanova and St. Joe's are just literally arts rivals that are about five miles away from each other. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and I'm, I'm still a Hawk fan, so Hawk will never die, even though, uh, even though I went to, went to school in Villanova. Even though uh, Villanova's won all these national championships. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the hard part. Uh, Of course, you know, (laughs) the big five, we always root for, you know, we root for everybody when they're not playing us. So we, you know, I was always kind of on their side. Um, um, but uh, still, still always a big Hawk fan. So you were attorneys and, and Philadelphia yes. residents? We were. So um, we uh, got out of law school. Um, we moved into a, a little apartment in a little neighborhood called Old City in Philadelphia back in the mid-90s when it wasn't really a nice place to be. And then um, moved to um, Queen Village. And we were there for a whole bunch of years. And uh, we were going to be dying the little city people. We had no one to, We were either going to live in the city or out in the middle of nowhere. That was kind of the, the deal we made when we got married. And uh, so we were in uh, Queen Village, uh, had two kids in Queen Village, uh, both in Philadelphia. And like I said, we were going to raise the kids in the city and, you know, have them be city kids and the whole bit. And uh, I was working uh, at the time um, as uh, I was the last job I had, the job I quit to do this. I was general counsel at the uh, Philadelphia Stock Exchange. 
So chief corporate counsel at the Philadelphia Stock Exchange. That's a lot of demanding time for you yeah. and a lot of responsibility. Yeah, and um, and mind you, we lived in the city, so the commute was not bad. Uh, I would either walk or take a cab or whatever. Uh, but Jules wasn't practicing at that point. She was staying home with the kids. And I was working ridiculous hours. wasn't getting to see her. wasn't getting to see the kids. And um, and it was I was starting to go down a, a, a bad path. And uh, and she recognized it, and I recognized it. And so at one point we were like, all right, we gotta we gotta figure out another way to live because we're this, you know, either either I'm not gonna live very long doing this, or we're not gonna be able to live together very long doing this. So the goal really was to find um, something that we could do together, um, whatever that was, and. I also kind of recognized that I, even though I was fairly good, I think, at, at being a lawyer, I wasn't particularly, I didn't really particularly enjoy it, honestly. Um, so that really wasn't sort of the, the direction. So we were going to com- do a complete lifestyle change. Um, now, we were uh, basically, you know, and, and we were, had a couple of partners that we started this with, actually. Um, and so we all kind of got together and talked about it. And the first thing we said was, like, what else, what else are we qualified to do, honestly, other than be lawyers? And uh, we quickly realized that we weren't qualified uh, to do a, a damn thing other than what we were presently doing for a living, which, believe it or not, was a fairly liberating realization, right? Because once you realize you're not qualified to do anything else, the whole wide world of stuff you're not qualified to do, which is vast just opens up to you. You just got to pick something. There's a lot of self-reflection and honesty that goes into that conversation. I mean, yeah. a lot of people don't have that self-conversation when they're not happy with what they're doing. They just kind of slog along. And I'm sure there are still attorneys that you know that you have conversations with. And so they say, Scott, I'm so I'm so admiring of what you've done because I hate what I'm doing, but I could never do that. Yeah, well, you know what's funny? I think a lot of people have the conversation, uh, and in my experience, because we talk to people all the time when they hear this story, um, that, you know, people say to us, like, yeah, I really don't want to do what I'm doing anymore, and I've actually thought about, you know, being a writer, or I've thought about being a, you know, whatever it is, and so it's, it's not that the conversation's not happening. You know, they're, they're, the inner voice is talking. They're just not listening to it or, okay. or they're not acting on it. And, and I get that. Like there's, there is, there's a reasonable amount of crazy that, that kind of goes into this and, and the good kind. But the, what I usually say to people when they say, well, geez, you know, what, what was the first step you took? And I said, well, the first step is basically deciding what your priorities are. And um, so long as your priority isn't money, so, like, you don't need a nice car and you don't need to, you know, the, the house at the beach. And you're not, you know, your, your motivation isn't making sure that you have a beefy bonus at the end of the year. So long as, as that's not a motivation, that's probably number one. That's the thing that really trips people up um, because I was making a lot of money when I quit the job I was doing. And the mind boggles at the money I would be making at 53. I left when I was 36. 53, and after, you know, the company I left, the stock exchange, my last sort of official act was helping to sell that off to the NASDAQ. It's now the biggest options market in the country, the Philex is. So had I stuck around with them, they actually, NASDAQ wanted me to, to stay with them and go join their international M&A, Mergers and Acquisitions Group. And had I done that, it is hard to imagine sort of money-wise what I would be making and what I'd be worth at this point. Um, but I don't ever think about it because I don't really care. Uh, because really, that was that was the first decision was... I don't. Money doesn't really matter at the end of the day to me. Um, the the second decision was being okay with working really really hard, and so long as you've got those two things, the, the willingness to work your tail off for whatever it is, and the being all right with making a living and not getting rich, 
then really there's no limit. And it's it's in my experience, it is almost always the the, the money that trips people up because most people are already working their asses off. They're just working their asses off doing something they don't like. So it's the money part that really trips them up. And that's unfortunate. And I think that's that's cultural for us, I think, to a certain degree. I think it's something that's been ingrained in us over the years. Um, and that's not to say, by the way, that we're not making a living doing this, because we are. We're making a perfectly comfortable living. Um, but, you know, we're working seven days a week, so I don't have the time to spend the money I got anyway. So, you know, so that that's that's really that's really kind of the, the trick. That's really kind of what what made made what we did different than what a lot of people wind up not doing. One of the things I enjoy and the underlying idea that I find about our podcast is there's some sort of an entrepreneurial underlying theme to it. Yeah. Because when you're talking to people like yourself and Julianne who are going to start a winery from jobs that are very, very lucrative mm -hmm. and very, very accomplishing in their own right, and then you decide to pivot yeah. and go to this other direction – there's an entrepreneurial spirit that's inside of you. And I, and I think that there's a conversation there that people need to, you know, that re should resonate with people. When you had the, you know, that conversation with everybody and you got together and said, what are we qualified to do? <laughs> How did a winery come into the conversation? We were drinking wine. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> that was, that's really it. Had we been drinking coffee? It might have been a coffee shop. Um, and So that's like it. serendipitous that you were yeah. actually – do you remember the wine or the wines? Uh, no, I have no idea what it was. Okay. Um, it was it was actually – we were over at one of our friend's place who, whose wife had just had a baby. So the women were seeing the baby and the three of us were – you know, because I don't have any interest in seeing a baby. They all look the same to me. So we were sitting in the kitchen and we were drinking wine and this conversation sort of – I filled them in on the conversation Jules and I had had, and so this kind of kept going, and we had a good time with it, and we actually, you know, were trying to come up with silly names for it, and and we actually, you know, plotted the idea of like, all right, well, what's the what's the next step, right? So the next step was let's start looking around for property, um, and then let's go see if grapes grow in you know, in this case, in New Jersey, because you know in, we were in downtown in Philadelphia, so you know we didn't really uh, can't really grow grapes. In, Set of Center City. So now um, that's not true because that, that, that there are a lot true. of people actually, that have been growing grapes in the city of Philadelphia and making their own wine. So actually, actually, you're right. That's not true because we did plant from one of our original plantings. <laughs> we still lived in the city for a little while before we started this. And I actually, there's a grapevine growing in the backyard of my old house on Queen Village. Oh, so whoever cool. owns 721 South American Street in Philadelphia, okay. there's a grapevine back there, as you probably know. That is so cool. Yeah. So there is one growing. A commemorative grapevine. Commemorative. Yeah. The, the very first Auburn Road Vineyards grapevine is. On American Street in Philadelphia. That is so cool. Yeah. Um, but so we started, we did a little trial plot. Um, one of my uh, former partners had a house right up the street here. And uh, and then I started writing a business plan, which I still have a copy of, which is absolutely hysterical. Um, because, you know, there's a big section in there that says, you know, learn how to make wine. You know, learn learn how to plow a field. Because we had never plowed a field. I'm not a farmer. At least I am now. I wasn't then. Um, so that was sort of the additional complexity to it is that we had to completely relearn or we completely teach ourselves everything um you know how to farm uh, how to make wine how to run a business uh, you know all the all of those things um so we had to kind of start from the bottom up you're really starting so cold yeah. other than your enjoyment of drinking wine yeah, that's that the it. only experience you had that was it that wow. was it well that that and like i said i mean having having spent a lot of time over in italy particularly um i i did have i did have that sort of european sensibility as to the way I would want this thing to be and to look and to experience and that that sort of vision of what has materialized into what we have here 
is is really the thing that sort of lit, fi- lit the fire under me ultimately and kind of was my sort of guiding star as it were in the sense that we, I wanted to create sort of a European style wine bar I wanted to create sort of a town center um, where people could come and people could gather and that it was you know a, a, you know more or less you know sort of public environment but and I'm sure a lot of people have listened who are listening have you know been to bars in Europe and bars in Italy you know where you can bring the kids and bring grandma and you know bring your family and everybody hangs out together which is a far healthier way to, to live than you know, maybe we traditionally do here in the States where... I think know, that's changed a little bit it in is the changed. last year. It's, it's actually... I really do. Well, I, I think a lot of that has changed in the last 20 years since we've been doing this. I mean, we've become much more of a wine-drinking country than we ever were. Yes. Um, people are understanding, you know, the the, uh, the the moderation that's built into wine. Um, like Thomas Jefferson said, you know, no no country is, dr- is drunken where wine is cheap. Right, so instead of drinking rum and getting hammered and all of that, even in colonial times, he was trying to grow wine and encourage people to drink it because it is a moderate drink. You're going to fall asleep before you do anything bad, right? Generally speaking. So, um, but anyway, so when when we started um, piecing together, you know, what the next steps were, you know, writing the business plan, um, you know, seeing how grapes grew, um, I actually was our uh, original winemaker. In fact, um, while we still lived in the city, uh, I went and got one of those home winemaking kits. How actually, did that go for the first time? Yeah, so I it was it was a I got it at a place called Home Sweet Homebrew on Twenty First and Sansom Street in Philadelphia, and it's still there, I'm pretty sure. And I don't know if you've seen these home winemaking kits, right? But they're like a big bag of juice, and there's like a big glass carboy they give you, and there's a couple little envelopes of stuff. You know, I figure one of them. Was, yeah, I, I think it was yeast. Yeah. So um, and they give you like the layer stopper and stuff. So. I got it and brought it. I actually rode my bicycle up there and then, you know, not thinking that I had to bring all this stuff home. So I flagged down a cab, put my bike and all the stuff in the cab. It took me back. We got back to Queen Village, set it all up in the basement, right? And so I got the, put the juice in and got the little, you know, little packet of stuff, yeast, I guess, and dumped that in and then put the little stopper on it and it bubbled away. And after it stopped bubbling, I figured it was done, right? It's a couple weeks later. And so uh, our, one, of, one of my former partners, and Jules and I, decided to taste it, and it was god-awful. It was almost the worst thing I've ever tasted in my life. And these things are supposed to be fairly idiot-proof, right? Yeah, that turns out not to actually be the case, um, because I... Was there something that you did wrong, or just have, it's, it's, a, it's a product that I can't no be idea. made well? No, no, I, I think it can be done. Okay. I, I just think I was just so bad at it. Okay. I mean, whatever it is that I did to it, and I don't know what that would have been. But um, So at this point, and, and, and even up to this point, Jules, she knew we wanted to do something else, but she wasn't exactly sure that this was the right direction. And so as we're standing there drinking this god-awful glass of wine that I created, she's like, all right, well, if, if you idiots really want to go ahead with this winery idea... That's cool, but you maybe let me be the winemaker. And I said, you know what? That's probably a really good idea. So she started studying, and um, it was down in our uh, in our downstairs basement in, in Queen Village, the finished basement thing. And uh, she started researching, and this was in the you know what two thousand two, two thousand three ish, I guess area. And this is before the internet was super duper, right? So she was you know looking for information. She got a couple of really good books, some of which we still use. You know, uh, um, Sunlight into Wine is one of them. And um, and I come down there, and she had this. Um, these flowcharts set up all around the room, like taped together, you know, of the winemaking process, you know, like grapes go into crusher and then, you know, they go into the, you know, they go into the fermentation vat and a week later they go here and there's like arrows going every which way. And so she really, you know, really studied and, and that was the other thing. I mean, we figured 
you work your tail off, and if you are reasonably smart and you and you're willing to put your brain to it, um, you know, we figured we could figure it out, and uh, and she did at least at least sort of um, intellectually. And then it came time once we found this place um, to start trying to to make wine, and uh, and then she made a couple of of. Uh, of, you know, sort of initial batches before we had anything, because, you know, grapevines take three years to grow. So she started making some initial batches of it. Um, and right from the get-go, I, me- I remember the very first wine she made uh, from grapes we got from a, a local vineyard here um, that doesn't even exist anymore, a place called Sylvan Farms. Uh, super wonderful guy uh, by the name of Frank Salick, who was sort of the grandfather of, uh, of this industry in New Jersey. And... Um, He's uh, just recently passed, unfortunately, but he was the guy that kind of we out, went out and pruned his vines and, you know, had set up our youngest son, Jake, in a, in a little stroller on the edge of the vineyard. And then we went in and worked while, you know, he sat there and slept just to practice. And, you know, Dr. Frank showed us how to do what we did. But she got grapes from him, made some wine. And I remember sitting in this house at, at, uh, once we were there and tasting it and being like, holy crap, we're, we're going to pull this off. Because so that was a good aha moment for you. It was, yeah. It was. There's, there's always that moment. I mean, you had a couple already. Yeah. Where you started. To, I, I don't know, and I don't know if for a sense for you and Julianne that you looked and said, "Is this what we should be doing?" I mean, you kind of had that chance to walk away and yeah. go a different direction. But that moment of trying something and saying, "This is something we can do." Well, that we, must have been very. Gratify. I see a big smile well, coming funny. in your face. It was funny. That was more of a sense. That one was more of a sense of relief, honestly, okay. because we were already here. We had already committed to building this out. We had already bought the property. We had already left the city. So, I so was, you burned the ships. I mean, yeah. you literally, you, you, you were yeah. you, you, at that point they didn't have Easy Pass. So no. you said we're not going back to Pennsylvania. No. We're done. Yeah, we're, we can't go back. Yeah, yeah. We were we were here, and so the fact that she was able to pull it off after that leap of faith. Um, that was just more of a just massive relief than anything. I was like, holy crap, this might not be a disaster area. Because um, we actually, I kept my day job, which is one of the reasons we looked in this area, um, on top of the fact that it really is a beautiful part of the world down here. Um, but I, I kept my day job for, gosh, I think I, I quit in 2008. And uh, so it was a good four years after we planted our first vines out here. We planted those in 04. Um, so I was commuting back and forth to the city, you know, an hour and a half or, or so each way um, as, as we were living out here. Um, so it was, you know, so it was, we, we, we had a little bit, we weren't completely bananas. Like we still had, we had, you know, income you, you coming in. You had some in, income. Some income coming in <laughs> and at the time. You, you soothed some of your worries with wines. So yeah, okay. right. And we, and, we, and we drank the rest. Yeah. No, exactly. All right. I, I get so many questions. Yes. But, yeah, yeah. So 2004, you start planting vines. Yes. When does this facility, when, where we're sitting now and, and where we are, when did that open to the public? Okay, so this, we, when we bought this, this was just a big pasture and this was a big pole barn here. And the only thing that really still exists from the original, it's, it's, it's the same structure, but those posts you see inside are still the posts where the horse stalls were, we're sitting where our horse stall was. Um, so we spent, we, we planted those vines in 04. Um, we then um, spent the next gosh, three years building this out, because we did it more or less by hand. I mean, the, the other thing is, if you're going to start a winery, it's good to start it with a couple million dollars or so. We didn't. Um, we kind of started with whatever we had. And so we did a lot of it, almost all of it, sort of ourselves um, to a certain degree. So the first, it takes, you know, a, a grape three years to produce fruit you can use. So 2006 was our first commercial vintage. Um, and then, you know, a year 
by the time you ferment and age and all the rest of that stuff. So 2007, we were ready to open to the public, and we opened this in November of 07. Now, when you opened, yeah. I'm thinking for South Jersey, there were wineries in South Jersey. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned Dr. Frank, yep. who had grown grapes and had his own wine. Yeah. Where were you in the process as far as, you know, the new kids on the block. I mean, how many? Do you have a sense of where you were? In yeah, terms I do of the actually. Yeah, we were we were of licenses. I think we were number twenty six in the state at the time, and some have opened and closed over that time. Now I think we're approaching sixty. Wow, I think. Um, so there was there were the you know the guys that have, have been here forever. You know, like the Tomasellos and the Balanzanos and uh, Kate May Winery, and those guys have been around for a while. Um, you have um, some of the guys that when we first started were brand new, like Heritage Winery. Um, who are wonderful. They do a terrific job. What's great about our industry is that, particularly in just as, as a New Jersey wine industry, is that we are small, and everybody knows everybody. And the as when we showed up, we had there was an industry group here, the Garden State Wine Growers, that helped us, and all the individual wineries helped us. So like I said, we went and worked in Dr. Frank's Vineyard, and we, we bought some grapes from them. And we have, you know resources, people to talk to and people to go to. And, you know, like, like the Heritages, we went and talked to them as, because they were kind of, you know, a couple of years ahead of us. And then we got ourselves established. And now the young wineries that are coming up, we help them and help bring them along. Because really, you know, we, you need two things to have a credible wine region. One is you need to be making decent wine. Um, not just us, but everybody. So if we're the only winery doing a good job, then you're not really a wine region. You're just a one winery that no one's going to, you know, kind of consider you a, de- a destination. The other thing you need is critical mass. So you need more than just you around you doing that. So there's critical mass now. And again, they're growing. There are things popping up all over the place. The breweries have been great. The distilleries have been great because we all consider ourselves part of a broader beverage tourism industry. And you guys totally get that. Right. So, I mean, that's, that's something that... Um, Everybody gets and everybody is sensitive to. So you have a great deal of cooperation. Um, and there's always, you know, a little friendly competition. Everybody wants to be the best of the best. Of but, course. You know, but yeah, here's but, the thing. I mean, that, what, what you said there was a lot of fascinating information that when we talk to distilleries, breweries, I mean, th- there's there's this group of people that want to see everybody succeed. Yeah. But you touched on the idea of this becoming a, a wine region yeah. and a destination where if, if everybody does well, the area gets more notoriety. The right. area gets more um, opportunity for people, you know, to travel like a New York state, yeah. like a California Napa region, like a Washington state, yeah. where people really want to say, I'm going to spend the day yeah. going throughout New Jersey, South Jersey, trying some really nice wines that truthfully will knock your socks off because you have this expectation in a way. And historically speaking, there's somewhat of a stigma. Work real hard to overcome that. Yeah. But I think that when you start to see what South Jersey in this area, I mean, you can really say this is a destination spot, especially now mm-hmm. when you talk about, all right, we'll, we'll spend a couple of days in South Jersey. We got the Jersey Shore. We got all these places. But you're really all banding together to create a region. Yeah. And, and you're the first person that we've really had this conversation with that really understands the value and, 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 and the complexity of doing that. Yeah. Well, and I would actually extend it beyond South Jersey, honestly, because we actually have been putting together sort of a, um, a sort of a cooperative thing. Um, we we had given it a name a couple years ago. We called it sort of the Vintage Atlantic Wine Region, which is you know taking a little while to get off the ground, and we're still playing with it. But the basic idea is us working with the south you know southeastern PA wineries, 
wineries in Delaware, wineries in Maryland. So this whole region, like everybody is sort of swapping, you know, their their constituents back and forth. So if you're, a, you know, a fan of the Brandywine wineries and you see a brochure for Auburn Road there, you come across the river and see us. If you're a fan of Auburn Road and you see a brochure for, you know, the Brandywine guys, you go and see them. And so we're sort of cross-pollinating. The, and, and you're right. I mean, part of the battle, part of the big battle for us is getting past the laugh track that follows you around when you tell people you're a winery in New Jersey because there's such a, you know, a, a, you know, a stigma, a prejudice, whatever you want to call it, about our state. Well, I, you know? I, I think it's like everything else. I mean, when, when you consider the history of Napa, right. when you consider the history of the Finger Lakes, right. they had to overcome that perception yeah. themselves. They did. And the reality of it is... The way you overcome that is to keep producing good wine. Yeah. And you got to start somewhere, right? You don't throw corn whiskey in a barrel and call it bourbon and a four-year bourbon if it's not. In other words, you have to let things mature. You have to learn and hone your craft. Right. And that's what you've been doing, and that's what others are doing yeah. to to bring to bring that quality up. Well, and, you, and and that's exactly right. And you have to take it seriously. And and we've you know we we've scolded each other. Like we 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 are tough on each other. The other wineries, all of us. You know, if we see that you know people are short arming or short short arming it, because that that's exactly the point. Is that. Yes, I mean the the you know the the uh, hospitality aspect of what we do is cool and it's different and it's and it's important. And the fact is, we were over in the Loire Valley not too long ago. Just you know, one of the one of the perks of the job is getting that a, inspiration. Yeah, and and they grow a lot of the same things we do. So we want to see how they did it. They are actually getting inspiration from us. They are starting to open places like this. You used to not be able to go and do wine tours in the Loire Valley, right? I mean, you used to go to wine shops. But you couldn't go to the vineyard and go, you know, see how the wine is made and go meet the winemakers. Yeah, a lot of them were a private estate. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Or, so, or are still. Yeah, and still are. And so they're, and they're starting to realize that in a global economy that they are having to compete with us and compete with California and compete with, you know, other places. And so they're taking on some of this model. So part of what we do here is cool and important, but the quality of what we do is vitally important. And, and you're starting to see... You know, the, a, a lot of the wineries that are really taking it seriously as opposed to, you know, just making stuff that is alcohol that, you know, does what alcohol does. And, you know, you really have people. Re- I mean, I, I don't I can't think of a whole lot, a whole, whole lot of wineries out there, at least in our in our circle of, of, of southern New Jersey who are and even New Jersey proper, all of us um, that aren't taking this really seriously on some level, because that, that is absolutely vitally important, I think, at the end of the day. I, I think at the end of the day, you're yeah. spending this, – this is so expensive. Yes. You have to take it seriously. Yeah, you really And do. even under the experiences that we've had over the last year with COVID, yeah. you have to even more take it seriously on so many different levels. Right. How has COVID impacted your business or your wow. business model? How, how, how have you really come through that, and what have you seen as positives from COVID? Yeah. Well, gosh, we have had such a weird experience. Uh, we, the wineries, and I'll speak for Auburn Road specifically, in the sense that, um, yeah, we saw it happening all around us. Um, and, and obviously, you know, once we were able to reopen again, we, we were, you know, right in the middle of it. But um, our, our world didn't really stop spinning on March 16th. Like, we had to close the doors of this place, which was utterly terrifying. Um, because, you know, and I spent the, the two days after that, um, 
doing the very grim math of, okay, how long can we stay closed and not make any money and not go bankrupt? And, and you also have to look out for your staff and people that have been with oh, you absolutely. for a long time. Absolutely. So it was, I mean, that was ultimately it because, you know, our, our commitment was, you know, the servers who, you know, work when we're open, obviously we weren't open, so we, we couldn't keep the servers, but we have a bunch of full-time people. We have vineyard people, we have winery people, and the winery didn't stop. The vineyard in March, I mean, it looked like this. It was just about ready to start exploding. I mean, the grapes don't know. They don't know. The world is going through a pandemic, right? Yeah, no, they had no idea. So, you know, so we had to keep our entire staff together. So, I mean, we, we couldn't just shut our doors like a, like a lot of restaurants were able to do. Um, so, or had to do. Or had to, no, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it wasn't a good thing, God knows. Um, so, I did the calculation and I figured Jules and I would literally go to zero. Not just the company, but us, in like the beginning of July. If no That's other money came, not a in. lot of runway. No, it was it was it was pretty scary. Although we never actually panicked, and that comes back down again to the two things that sort of got us here, which was, you know, we we know we work hard, and we know we're going to be able to you know figure out another way to make a living. You know, I'm, I'm, my license to practice law, by the way, has long gone away, so that is not going to be an option. But we we knew we'd find something else to do, and the fact is, I'm all right going to zero. I've been to zero. I don't mind zero. It's actually, in a weird sort of way, a fairly sort of exciting and liberating concept. The fact that I would have worked, you know, 50 years of my life to go to complete zero and then start all over again. Below zero, you don't want to be. But zero, we were okay with that conceptually. Okay. So I showed Jules the plan. I'm like, okay, we just got to survive till July. We got to, you know, somehow. And maybe we open up, you know, nobody knew when we might reopen, right? So... We were lucky in the sense that we were deemed an essential business, the, the wineries were, along with liquor stores and hospitals and things, um, which I'm still kind of amused about, but grateful. Um, and so we took two days to figure out how to deal with that. And so we opened up a, you know, the uh, curbside pickup out the back door and started promoting that to people to say, all right, you know, here's, here's the protocol, here's the phone number. We'll do pizzas on Friday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and so Sunday. So you pick up a pizza, pick up pick a bottle up some of wine, and, and then go. just do that on your own back patio or whatever or exactly. inside your kitchen or dining room. Exactly. And so they pulled up. They popped their trunk. We all were masked up and gloved up at the time. Put the stuff in the trunk, closed it, and they paid over, over the phone. No human contact, nothing. Although you probably wouldn't be surprised to know how many people made a day of coming out just driving the parking lot and back rolling down the window, talking to us from, you know, six feet away and just to have other people to talk to. And then they drive off the month of April. We sold an astonishing amount of wine, um, that way. And, and I know it was true of, of most of the other wineries as well. Um, so much so that I was started to really kind of fear for people's livers, honestly, because it was, uh, I know they were locked up with not a whole lot to do, but it was still, you know, like, gosh. So that must've been a, a huge sigh of relief. No, number it one, was, yeah. Recognizing your fan, your client base, you know, that you have people that are, I think what people realize right now is that there are people that see you and the relationship they have with you, yeah. not just, Hey, it's wine, but yeah. it's an investment. Yeah. It, it's, it's the memories. It's the enjoyment. It's the sharing. Yeah. So you see that. And number one, you have that. And then number two, that July marker now can get moved down the road. Yeah, that's exactly right. right. It, yeah, so we kind of so, have a sigh of relief on that point. Most definitely. And 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 to your point, by the way, uh, we were overwhelmed and blown away by the fact that the community, who all of whom were also hurting, obviously. I mean, everybody, you know, either because we had people telling us they were teachers that, you know, were were per diem kind of teachers that now there was 
kids weren't in school, so they, they weren't getting paid, and they had a mortgage to meet, and they had no idea what to do. So, I mean, everybody was in a bad spot, but they were coming out and supporting us. And all of those servers I mentioned that we couldn't keep employed because we weren't open here, they were driving up and buying wine to, keep, to help keep us afloat. I mean... How do, how do you how do you thank people for that? I mean, that's just astonishing to me. And you, we keep, you know how you thank them, and I think it's what you and Julian have done is you keep going. Yeah, well, you, you keep it open. You, you keep and going, and you hopefully have a place to bring them back to. But it, I mean, yeah. we were we were we were beyond blown away by that, and I'll, I, I I I I will be always forever grateful for that because that was truly amazing. Um, and then and then you know we we got into May and you know things quieted down a little bit, which was natural. And then we got the word we were going to open up on June fifteenth. And that was equally terrifying because we had no idea what the world would look like on the other side and that we couldn't have anybody indoors. So we were, you know, a victim to the elements, so to speak. Um, And we spent, gosh, the entire first half of June remaking the place. And in fact, there was a a young young, uh, film student um, who had worked with us ages ago, his brothers had too, um, who wanted to, to do a documentary about a small business reopening. And so he did a documentary about us. Very cool. What's the name of the documentary? Uh, Reopenings. And, he and has it. he? It was it released like a YouTube or yeah, he has he has it on YouTube. Okay, um, and it's, we'll link uh, to that in the show notes and everything else. That's it's, cool. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, and I've gone back and watched it um, like recently, and it was, I mean, it was crazy. Uh, you know, kind of because it was so early in the pandemic yet. You know, we were so unsure of what was coming. We were so grateful to be reopening, um, and had no idea what was going to happen next. And now to be sitting here knowing what's happened next um, is pretty remarkable to watch. And once we opened, um, it was we were overwhelmed by the, the support that we got. And that was true of a lot of the wineries too because the one thing we had really going for us is the wide open spaces. I mean, we have you know 23 acres here that we can spread people out on. And that's a lot of social distancing. It is a lot of social distancing, <laughs> but but we took it we took it super seriously, and we still do. Um, you know, because I, I felt and still do feel like it is my responsibility. When these people are here, like my health is in their hands. Right. So you know, my health their their health is in my hands. I know that's what I meant to say. <laughs> and actually, and actually, and your health, and is, my health in their, is in their yeah, hands yeah, as well. Yeah, which, which to to the point we had, especially in the early going, we, I, there there were a number of occasions where. Um, I had to ask people to leave because they weren't willing to do the things we required that the state required them to do that we required them to do in order to be here, and uh, so yeah, I mean it was it was and keeping the staff safe and keeping and having it all kind of work. Um, but we got through the summer, did great, got through the fall, had harvest, harvest we was we managed um, our what our part of our vineyard crew wound up getting COVID, so you know that was a it was an issue and, and they overcame it thank goodness. Um, we, um, got into the winter then and, uh, and of course, you know, dealing with rain and dealing with all that, we you know, we you had, well, to- you still have being a winemaker, yeah. being somebody that's, you know, you're, you're growing grapes, you still have the elements to deal with. Of course. You still have those other uh, aspects of, you know, frost and winter yes. and rain and yeah. that you have to deal with. Of course. And well, and, and not just the grapes now, but now we have to deal with people enduring all of that. And one of the things that I'll, that I'll say that, that was I think has been truly remarkable and that I think is something that's going to stick from all of this is that I think um, Americans have become far more European, I think, these days in the way that they um, are as to what their expectations are. So they're okay. Like, it's pretty chilly out here. We're sitting outside right now. It's pretty chilly, but people are all over the place out here. I'll tell you what. This is really cool to see on a Friday afternoon. Yeah. 
it's like three, four o'clock. I mean, people still are supposed to be working. I think. <laughs> supposed but to be. you're full. You're you're really full yeah, out here, and there's there's yeah. people inside. Yeah. I mean, this is awesome. Yeah. No, it's and it's been like this since June fifteenth, and and the, and the thing is, people are willing to be out here in really hot weather, and we do our best to try to make it comfortable, and you know, lots of umbrellas and fans and whatever. Um, and out here in the cold, we have you know these gas fire pits. We have. 14 other fire pits out there so on a saturday night in like january we would show movies out here and we would have it was actually kind of cool so we did it we did we had all the fire pits going it looked like a viking wedding out here right so we had fire pits going we had a big screen inflatable screen and we showed um, all these old movies that are in the public domain and we had musicians come out and live score to the movies oh that's so cool it was neat yeah. and you had the blankets you, you allowed people to you could, use right. and yep. so people could sit by the fire wrap in a blanket we had like warm drinks and you know on a Saturday night now mind you it was earlier in the evening so it was like you know 6 o'clock in the evening but still dark and still freezing cold and the courtyard was packed and this might not have been anything you would have entertained or given thought to never in a million years. had go, had, have you you know going through yeah. The protocols and restrictions or, you know, the, the safety precautions of going through COVID. Right. No, that's exactly right. And But also, I don't think it's something that the public would have would have accepted or endured had that not been the case. That's true. So, and, and I think, and, and this is this is part of where the, the mystery still is, is are people still going to be willing to come out and sit outside when it's chilly? Or are they still going to be willing to sit outside when it's hot? Or, you know, not, I mean, because America, as Americans, we generally want to have the entire world climate controlled for us, right? We want air conditioning. We want heat. We don't want to be uncomfortable. You know, when you, the last trip I took overseas, we had this beautiful, lavish dinner in this on this vineyard in, in Bologna, right near Bologna, uh, in central Italy, and it was about a hundred degrees outside. And we were drinking this lovely, sparkling Pinoletto, which is the wine that they generally serve in, in in that part of the world. And the waiters would put ice cubes in napkins. We'd put them around our necks, and so there'd be you know water dripping down us. But we were, and it was a hundred degrees outside, and we're drinking wine and eating food, and it was spectacular. And, and yeah, there were little flies buzzing around, and yeah, it was super hot. But you but the experience it. left so many memories from you. Had sure. you just said, you know, it's hot. I don't want to do that. We're going to avoid that. Yeah. But look what you got out of it. Right. That. And and deal with it. You know what I mean? So long as so, you know, and, and you just it's all what you're accustomed to. I mean, you know, that's what the Europeans are accustomed. So to. this summer we be doing ice and handkerchiefs we, we, and we totally, towels and we stuff. Totally did that last year. <laughs> we totally, I, I actually had a training session with the staff, and I'm like, okay, this is how they do it in Bologna. This is how we're going to do it, and. People were cool with it. That's cool. Yeah. No, it was. So we, we t- in, in very long answer to your question, um, we actually have a little survivor's guilt, honestly, because we actually did remarkably well um, through all of it. Um, and we worked really hard and we reinvented ourselves five different times. And But I think this is true of all the wineries, honestly. Um, you saying that is very fascinating because through the podcast, we've been able to interview people and businesses, distilleries and such, wineries, breweries, that have transitioned through different... We're, we were at different parts of COVID. Yeah. And now we're here at this part where somebody is actually saying, Scott, you're saying we have survivor's guilt. Yeah. Which is a whole different concept to where we are now. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, it's it, it's, it's weird. I mean, because... You know, we, we did, we did, we were lucky. We, we, we took advantage of the uh, the first PPP that came through, um, which was, I mean, it was great that they did it. It was a bollocks the way they did it, but it was great that they did. Um, and now they've done the second one. Um, we didn't need it. We didn't even try. 
we don't want to because there's other people out there that desperately do. Right. Um, and those people I really feel for. The restaurants, I mean, when you're in Philly, obviously, I mean, the restaurants in the city. Yeah, they still have to make a decision at the end of this month as to what new regulations or restrictions are going to lift or what yeah. they're going to do. No, and it's, and it's been an absolute struggle. And, you know, I... You know, trust me, we, we, we've, as I said, we've, we thought through the really bad scenarios and avoided them through some hard work, through some good luck, and just happened to be the business we're in. Um, and those restaurants and those other businesses that weren't able to survive, um, it's, it's an absolute crime, and it's, uh, and it's a shame, which is kind of what I mean by... That survivor's guilt. Yeah, a little bit, you know, that, that you know, we, we were able to, you know, to, to thrive, not just survive, but we, we did really well, so... Um, and part of, hopefully part of what we did though, is we were able to give back a little bit to the community that came here and, you know, we, we didn't gouge them for, you know, <laughs> paying to sit next to a fire pit. We didn't raise prices. We didn't, you know, we, we tried to accommodate everybody that came through that was willing to, you know, be safe and, um, and we gave people a place to come. So I'm, I'm hoping that karmically speaking, <laughs> that was something we were able to do, um, with what we were given. Um, and we were able to keep all of our, most of our crew employed, um, and now hopefully grow. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's been, it's been a heck of a year and, and it, I, Jules and I were talking about it the other day and, and, uh, and I said, you know, it's funny. I think of 53 now of my entire 53 years, I learned more in 2020 than I did any other year of my life, perhaps with exceptioning the first one. Like when you're one year old, you learn a lot of stuff. You just have no idea that you're learning. You just, right. Yeah. But you're absorbing <laughs> like from day zero to, to, you know, to day 360, you've learned a lot of stuff. I don't think I've learned more in a year than I have except for that one in, then in this one, because it's been, I mean, it's been a, 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 a uh, an MBA, God knows, um, you know, and on top of everything else. Um, I and, believe that's a compliment to the person you are and the team that you and Julianne are to say that you're going to be open-minded. I mean, there's, there's that resonates with me with that resonates to me from you where through this whole process of starting this winery that, you were going to be open to learning. Oh, yeah. The, it's easy to reach a point in life and say, I've learned all I can learn. I don't need – don't tell me what to do. Yeah. I can – you know, but, but the idea that you said everything is, you know, to, to, to borrow something from uh, an author, everything's figure outable. Right, right. You know? That's and true. I, and I wish I could remember the name of the, the woman who said that. Right. She tells a great story about everything's figure outable. That's, that's what COVID – that's what starting this winery has meant to you. Everything is figure outable. Yeah, no, I, I think, and, and if it's not figure outable, then you have to be humble enough to go and ask and, and you know, assume you don't know everything and go and find the answers and find someplace that can give you the answers. Um, you know, because I was actually talking to my, uh, my son, uh, my younger son, uh, last night, because um, I, I guess we had gotten on the conversation of the uh, um, Black Lives Matter stuff and then and the ruling that just came down about the uh, uh, the guy that killed George, George Floyd. Floyd. Yeah. And, um, and 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 that has been something that's been a large obviously big topic of conversation yeah. with everybody. During the entire year of the, of 2020, I was the chair of our Garden State Wine Growers Association. So I was sort of our collective mouthpiece with the, for the industry just because I just happened to be sitting in the seat. On top of dealing with Auburn Roads issues, I was dealing with industry issues. And part of all of that Black Lives Matter stuff we went through a lot of the wineries and our industry in general started getting, you know, um, requests and getting inquiries about, all right, so what are you guys doing to, to, to address this? And 
those questions came to me and our executive director. And I honestly said, I'm like, I, I don't know. Like, I've never been in a position where I've had to even think about those questions. And as my sons keep saying, you know, it's, there's a big difference between not being racist and being against racism, right? So, you know, not being racist, I would hope, is fairly easy for people to do. But then being against racism, what does that even mean? And I didn't know what language to talk in. I didn't know what kind of things were appropriate or not appropriate to do. I, you know, you want to be inclusive, but I didn't know how to do that. And, you know, talking through, talking through with my sons, one of whom is in college at University of Pittsburgh and the other one is, is a senior in high school. And be, being young people and very smart young people, thank goodness, they were able to kind of help give me some guidance. But we actually, as an association, formed a diversity committee and invited the communities, you know, like the Latino community and the black community to come in to this meeting. It was virtual, of course, it was Zoom meetings, but we had a series of them to say, okay, how, how do we make our, because, you know, people would ask us, it's like, well, you know, what are you do to, what are you doing to encourage, you know, um, um, you know, black and, and, and minority um, in investment or participation in your industry? I don't know. Where, where would we even start with that? So we created a committee that now still exists and that we walk through, you know, all those issues and have learned how to talk about them more intelligently. And, uh, um, and I remember having a discussion with, with one woman who, um, is, was, was, was a professional, like she was a professional lobbyist, I guess, um, for a, uh, a black sort of activist group. And, um, and I was sitting there being somewhat as, as the chair of this particular meeting, being somewhat apologetic about, um, you know, the fact that I didn't know how to talk about this. And, you know, and, and she had said, she said, well, why are you having such a hard time? I said, well, because I've never had to. I don't, I don't know what this is. You know what I mean? Um, so that was on top of all the other stuff we were doing. And this is true of the entire country and the entire world, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad but, you introduced that. And yeah. This is the first time we've really had this conversation on the podcast. Um, essentially, you know, we think about the business and running the business through COVID. But the part that we have not talked about is, you know, through the summer, and the impact of, of George Floyd's, you know, murder right. and his death, right. how that has affected you as a business owner, as, as, yeah. as you're talking about this, as, as an organization. And look, it becomes, it becomes eye-opening, doesn't it? it oh, it becomes, does. It's, it's, it's one of those things as humans is we don't know what we don't know. Yeah. A, a, until somebody says, hey, you, yeah. you need to at least reflect on this. You, you need to communicate this. You need to understand this. Yeah. Um, when you think about it now, where has that helped you grow? Where do you think that it's oh, been an improvement for you? Not not just you, yeah. Scott, but you as, as for Auburn Road and the, the 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 Garden State wine growers as a whole. Where where's that all impacted no, you? I, I think I think it's been I think it's been enormous because we're actually conscious now, and and I think that's that's honestly half the battle. We are um, we're communicating now. We are sensitive now to. Um, the issues that are out there, you know, that, that it's, it's, it's not okay to be passive about stuff. And we've actually, I mean, we, the wine growers in general have been engaging with communities, engaging with businesses and have put policies in place where, you know, we're inviting local minority owned, woman owned businesses of which we are now, we are one, we are a woman owned business. And so we, we are, we are engaging much more than we ever did. Um, we are, and it's funny because some of the things that I would have thought, Never in a million years would I do. For example, one of the things that was recommended to us um, by uh, by this one uh, African American community leader was, well, 
you know, as, as you're showing pictures on your Instagram and whatever of people being there, show pictures of, you know, the, a diverse group. I mean, you know, don't necessarily stage a diverse group, but that's okay to do because you want to show people that it's inclusive. But if you, it's, it, the, the more that people see that they are welcome and, and that when they are, when you're, when they're there, that they're treated in a way that they are welcome. That's, that goes a long way to, to, you know, that's the kind of outreach and you really don't need to do a whole lot more. No, on but, but it's a level. lens, right? Yeah, You're, right. You know, you, you don't as a, again, I keep going back to this as a business owner. Yeah. You got your head down, you're working. Yeah. And until you have this experience, you don't take a step back yeah. to look at it from a different perspective. And I think that's valuable because I, you would say when anytime anybody's looking through now, hey, we go to social media, we want to see more about that you know, winery that we might be going to. Right. Well, you know, if you're looking through and you don't see pictures of people that maybe you feel like you identify with or yeah. that experience that you would identify with, yeah. you may say, hey, I don't think it's for us. Yeah. I, I think that's a value. I think, again, yeah. what has come out of this for you, there's been value, education, learning. Oh, gosh, yeah. And, and how you can now become, you know, more part of your community. Right. Right. Well, and, and part of, and, and that's absolutely true. And part of, what our mission always has been, at least Auburn Roads has been, has been to try to demystify the whole wine thing a little bit. Because the wine, the whole wine thing, as you guys obviously know, can get super silly sometimes. Like you know, trying to pretend that that it is, it is something that maybe it isn't, or trying to be elitist, or trying to be, you know, trying to intimidate people. Right? You know, you're not supposed to like this wine. You're supposed to like this. Um, we've always that's always been part of our mantra uh, is to try to you know, if you like it, that's cool. And to try to, you know, encourage people to find what it is in a, in a wine that they like, that it's not necessarily the alcohol, but it is the flavor and what it goes with and how it brings out the, you know, the, the intricacies and the food you're eating or, you know, the, the, the day you're having, you know, like, you know, maybe don't drink a big heavy red in the middle of a hundred degree day. Maybe go try a Pinot Grigio or something else that's more, you know, it's those kind of things. Then when you add to that, that sensitivity we already sort of had, because for some wineries, that was part of the, the, the inclusion thing. We already had that. But then to add the, the additional layer of, you know, be actively interested in being diverse and in showing that showing diversity and making people from diverse backgrounds, whether it be, you know, you know, their race, their gender, their sexual orientation. Right. You bring up a lot of value of there. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. And all of that is, is important. And, and to make people feel not intimidated to drink wine, not intimidated to drink it here, not intimidated to be around and part of this community. And another important thing, too, is our staff reflects that. When you look at what our staff looks like, acts like, they're all different ages, all different races, um, all different sexual orientations. I mean, you know, it's so our... But here's the thing. I, I think from an idea, and, and I, I this is part of the conversation. It's yeah. not like you're building a team. Like, we need... We need somebody here <laughs> who's Asian. We need, right. Like, but that's just the culture that you've already built. That people understand it's it's the grape to the bottle to become yeah. wine to the glass. Yes. And it, the, you, you make this experience where people are like, I, I know who I am. I can identify with that. That's yeah. okay. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's, it's not like – I think now I, I, my concern is, and I don't mean to go too far down a road, no, no, no. That, that we get to a society that says, well, I, I need to pick and choose because now I need to I – don't, I don't have that player on my team. Right. You know? Right. And that's a concern for me too. Yeah, I get that. Let's – before we demyst, demystify people about the wine and, and, and do a little uh, sharing of your wine, yeah. 
Auburn Road, how did that name come up? Because I'm curious, was that the one name or were there other ones that were oh, in the no. mix? no. We had all sorts of horrible names. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, the reason Auburn Road actually, our, our test plot at my former partner's um, uh, house um, was, his, he lives on Auburn Road proper, which is about you know, on the way to Swedesboro going west. I'm sorry, north. Um, the, uh, the reason we kept it is that we wanted to have, well, one, in this particular part of the world, you know, they kind of name the roads after the towns that they're between. So we're on Sharptown Auburn Road here. So it's between the town of Sharptown and the town of Auburn. And Auburn is a very, 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 very small little thing, but it just happens to be right in the middle of everything. So everything around here for, I don't know, 20 miles in any direction is something Auburn Road. And so we're like, all right, well, it's ubiquitous. So it it certainly reflects where we are because we wanted to assimilate into the community a little. Um, And also it kind of had sort of an Americana feel about it because we toyed with, you know, you know, obviously my last name, Donini, you know, giving it something super Dago sounding or whatever, (laughs) but that didn't fit us because that, that wasn't, that wasn't totally legit. Right. Because, you know, you know, we're, we're, we're an American winery. We're in New Jersey. We're, you know, we're in this part of the world and we wanted to have something that kind of, fit a little bit of the of the American myth, right? So anything with a road on it certainly sounds American. Um, so that's, that's kind of why we settled and, and allowed it to, to stay. And uh, one thing that's really kind of super geeky, and, and one of the things that's fun about us, and I'll, I'll throw this in there if anybody's even curious, is that if you're willing to peel away sort of the layers of what we do here, you'll find some like you know, little Easter eggs of things, little interesting stuff that make things a little bit more fun like the bottles for example have playlists on them so that you can go to spotify we've created playlists so you can drink the wine oh that's so much fun and listen to a playlist that our dj created to go with that wine it's a little stuff like that but our logo which is a script like a handwritten script um is actually um walt whitman's handwriting now how did you get what is, is there a font called there is, walt whitman there there actually there is one or that, did you like no, no, do there, some sort of a there there, there is there bringing is a, him back no because if you could do that i no, have a couple no, questions no. for walt yeah you know does, <laughs> well, what does he think about his bridge you yeah, know that's yeah, really yeah really <laughs> um well, no i was a uh, i was a literature major in college so i was i've always been a, a big walt whitman fan and um he being again he's a jersey guy or at least lived and died here um and uh so we act, there is actually a font, um, and uh, but it's sort of a derived font, and we so we had our graphic artist manipulate it to make it closer to his actual handwriting. Um, so we did sort of geek out on it. That a is bit. so cool. Yeah. Well, I, my my first job out of law school actually, while we lived in the city, I clerked for a judge in Camden. So I'm one of those few people you run across that I really do have a real s- sort of soft spot for Camden as a city. Um, and I've spent a lot of time there over the years. Um, and so my first job was at the Hall of Justice in, in Camden, uh, clerking for a judge. And, you know, I my first year out of law school, I had kind of sold my soul to go to law school because I was a literature major, you know, I was a poet, right? And um, so I would spend lunch hours at his house, which is literally right across the street, across Mickle Boulevard. I think it's MLK Boulevard now, but it's right across the street there. So I would go and spend lunch hours there in the mid-90s hanging out. And then uh, once we started this, 20 years later, I caught up again with the guys that run uh, his house, the Walt Women Association. And uh, so we started, we actually created a wine uh, named Idolon after a Walt Women poem. And a portion of that goes to support those guys. And so we started sort of a, 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 a um, become sort of part of their, their team over there. So we were, we're there for his birthday, which is actually coming up in the end of May. And, uh, we, you know, we have wine and someone brings cake and it's and they do it in his backyard. And See, here's the thing. It's... What what you get to bring is you still get to bring your 
passions, oh, yeah. your life oh, desires yeah. to not just make you wine, to identifying with somebody like Walt Whitman and identifying with the community. Yeah. And again, why do people show up in March and April to buy your wine? That's part of the story. Well, I think part of it is. I mean, and that's one of the things that makes this so much fun. I mean, we do work seven days a week. We've been doing it for 17 years now. Um, but I can't imagine at this stage doing anything else because every weird little idea we have can we can just do. Like I was a, a musician in college and, uh, you know, and sort of dabbled in it after and nothing serious. But we have a stage over there and a stage over there and we do an open a stage inside, a stage, stage in outside. the vineyard. Yep, right. Yeah, I, right. You can't see me when I'm playing. That's, that's all right. Yes. But so <laughs> we, uh, we do uh, open mic nights on Thursdays and we have live music on Saturdays. And me and the local music store guy who organized the open mic nights get to do the first couple songs together. And it's my stage so they can't throw me off. So, like, <laughs> it's like any weird little thing, you know, because a lot, almost, not almost, everything we do here is art. And that's kind of the way we look at it. So whether it be you're inside the Enoteca and the, all the painting that's on the walls, because we have our in-house artist who does all of our label art. Um, during the pandemic, we locked her in there a couple of nights a week with a bottle of wine and just let her go crazy. And so you go in there now and it's this big work of art that's constantly changing. Like we'll still lock her in there and she'll paint over something. You don't something. necessarily lock her in there. No, I mean, no, she, she goes willingly. She goes willingly. <laughs> I mean, give me a bottle of wine. I'll stay around She's too. Yeah. Well, the, the wine is certainly incentive, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it's so like growing grapes is art. Um, and we're, and I we're, love that growing grapes is art. Oh, it is. That and, should and, be a t-shirt. It should. And, and we're perfecting it. In fact, Jules, the reason she couldn't be with us today is she is actually going to that neighbor over there and another place up the street. Um, looking for lambs, sheep, because one of the things we want to get away from is using too much in the way of herbicide. So we, we're going to become shepherds now, which is going to be a real experience. Because I mean, talk about right, not knowing we're going to talk about, about you're going we're going to talk about your shepherd experience <laughs> on the other side. We're going to start to taste some wines, right, and right. I can't wait to come back. <laughs> We're back, and we've got some bottles open now. You are the fastest wine bottle opener I've ever. It comes after seventeen I, years of experience. Hazard, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Is there a competition? I was thinking to open bottles of wine real fast. I don't know. You know, you know what's really crazy is that. Um, real quick story. Um, among the other things we had to deal with in twenty twenty, we had um, a mishap with our bottling line. And um, long story short, about twenty six thousand bottles went bad in the middle of. Wait, you lost twenty six? Were well, they full or just the full? bottle? No, no, they were full. Glass is not cheap no, 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 right now no, either. Bottled full, like the wine had been in the bottle and all ready to go. And the 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 company that we used that we we did it with. Um, Something happened with the the filter, and it didn't filter the wine properly, and it left yeast inside that started oh, to re-ferment no. in the bottle. So we basically had twenty six thousand bottles that were going bad, and we had, and so this was about a half million dollar problem that happened in twenty twenty. Another gift from twenty twenty that happened um, right about August, I guess. And so we had to figure out what to do, and ultimately Jules, because she's brilliant, came up with solutions for all of them. But we had to unbottle twenty six thousand. So bottles they had of wine. a sparkling wine, or did you well, just they they were they were sparkling but That's we had to saying. unsparkle them yeah <laughs> okay. um, so it was you know had to refilter them had to do other things that I'm not even qualified to talk about but we had to unbottle the point of the story is an uncork 26,000 wow. bottles the last of which the last four pallets of which we did two Wednesdays ago I guess so I mean literally pop Pop, so pop, that's where pop. you oh, yeah. really, that's where you got that experience. Oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a pro, man. Wow. What's your what's the wine here that okay. you want to open first? So you want to try first. So we we are um we're just releasing all of the whites and rosés. Um so we are 
Chardonnay, um, which uh, we call the White Bottle, so we named it after the Beatles' White Album. Uh, that one, um, we uh, the 2019 sold out. Um, it got a double gold at the uh, San Francisco Chronicle Wine Competition, which is I don't really don't put any stock in competitions, honestly. But the recognition we were, we were has to about feel that. good about that. It was cool, yeah, because we're up against wines from all over the world, so that's pretty cool. Um, but that'll be back in June. We have a dry rosé that we absolutely love. It'll be back in May. So we're starting to little by little release the 2020s, and this is 2020 Pinot Grigio. Which I have to admit, when we started releasing the 2020s, was a little jarring seeing that number that number on, on there? the label. It's a little freaky, honestly. Uh, but it's like anything else. I mean, uh, this is something that's good to come out of 2020. Something good that yeah. came out of 2020. <laughs> a nice bottle of wine. Yeah, so this is Pinot Grigio. Pinot know, Grigio. Grigio. Yeah, we grow it here. See, I'm just, I, I've been saying Pinot Grigio all this time, and has well, that been it, wrong? No, it's perfectly right. Pinot Grigio. Grigio. I'm just, now yeah. I'm going to say that Scott well, I, taught I, me how to say Grigio. <laughs> I, I speak fluent Italian, so everything when I speak Italian, it all comes out. Or speak in Italian. It's word. funny. All of a sudden, when you said I speak fluent Italian, your hands started moving. My hands moving. started moving. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, it is. I, I, I'm dangerous when I get going like that. But the Pinot Grigio. So is now you've taught me how to speak. Yes. Say Grigio, and I now Grigio. speak. Right, I, I now going. speak fluent. It's fluent Italian. You do. You got it. You got it. <laughs> but this is crisp and light. We fermented in stainless steel. Um, the weird thing about the Pinot Grigio grape is it is not a white grape. It is actually a mutation of the Pinot Noir, so it's multicolored. It can be, I've seen them be brick red, I've seen them be like almost purple black, I've seen them be like yellow like a Chardonnay grape. I've actually even seen grapes where half the grape is yellow, half the grape is red. It's just bizarro land. So you press it right away, get the juice away from the skins, it comes out looking and tasting like really sweet iced tea, and then uh, you ferment it in stainless steel for upwards of about, what? three months fermentation takes approximately and, and for a white wine because you ferment it cold so it goes really slowly um, and then uh, you uh, filter it away well, you rack it off you know a lot of the sediment and things like that and then you filter it and, um, and it's crisp and light and beautiful acidity which I happen to love because um, as I find I'm getting older um, my palate is becoming more and more of a blunt instrument like Jules and our assistant winemaker Eric have really really great palates and a lot of our staff do but when they have me taste wine I'm kind of the man on the street palate they figure if I like it and I'm sensing things in it that, the, you know, a lot of the general public will dig it. So they don't go too far down, like, you know, sort of a bunny trail where they're like, wow, this has got this fantastical thing going on where that wouldn't be necessarily appealing to people. Um, but anyway, so this is uh, this is Pinot Grigio. I, I love, like, the first thing that came to mind is, like, this, the, the color of Cindy Brady's hair from the Brady Bunch. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's what I saw. Can I, can I use that on the table? You can have as that's much of awesome. that as you want. Um, it's... This is great because you just brought stuff to, to, to me and the listener that I've never really had explained or experienced. Oh, cool. And that's awesome, awesome, especially about wine. Now, you're growing these grapes in your vineyard. We are. Yeah. What's it like, especially that experience now to start where you've, and where you've reached to this? I'm yeah. going to say ended up. Yeah. I almost said ended up. But where you've reached in the process to, 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 to have these grapes that you're growing and you're cultivating. Yeah. That you're now putting in a bottle that are, you've got the winemaking process dialed in so much. You're winning medals. Yeah. And I said this, and, and I will say, and you know, we, we, we visited South Jersey wineries, and, and I'm not discrediting them, and I'm not, it's not a criticism of them. But I said to you that when, when you came over to our table, we were here about a month ago, I said, Scott, I, I really feel like, you know, we're in Napa, or I, I feel like we're in the Finger Lakes or a wine region. That has that credibility notoriety. Yeah. To your credit, because 
you've tried to really create that experience for people, and it's now coming through. That's awesome. So That's when nice you start to, to when you, when you're when you're releasing this Pinot Grigio, and <laughs> and and allowing people to experience this, this is just. In the overall experience that you and your wife have created, oh, that's cool. I, I think that's that's a lot of fun for us. Oh, that's it, awesome it really to hear. is. Um, that's awesome to hear. But the color, the nose on this. I mean, talk about your vision a little bit of what you're trying to create here in this wine. And you talk about the tasting notes. So yeah, um, well, it's you want to, and, and and Jules should be here to answer this question because she's she really is the brains of the outfit. I mean, she, like she's she really she manages the vineyard, she manages the winery, and um, a lot of these wines are really her vision, but. What she would say, and because I've heard her say it, is that she's trying to get the best expression of the grape you can possibly get in the year that you're you're getting it, and it's really pretty much that easy. And it's also extremely hard because Pinot Grigio, for example, has all sorts of finicky characteristics to it. It's you know it's real susceptible to disease. It's real susceptible to weather. That you know the the the, the grapes are in such a real tight cluster. They look like a hand grenade. In fact, they look like a pine cone. Hence the name Pinot. And um, they you know that's always going to stick with me. I didn't know. Yeah. Now that's phenomenal. That's, that's where the name comes from. Like a pine cone. Like a pine cone. And it looks like a pine cone. Um, and but but it's it's such a hard. They're, I mean. They're all varying degrees of hard in, in this part of the world and in most parts of the world that really grow fruit like this. Um, so in each year, you want to get the best expression of that year out of it, and you want to have the grape kind of guide you and sh- tell you what it wants you to be. And, th- and there, are, there are varieties, and there are clones of varieties that we have pulled out because they're like telling us, we don't want to be here. We don't grow here. We had Pinot Noir growing up at our upper vineyard, had no interest in growing here. And it shouldn't because it's just not the right climate for it. So what we're doing is we're trying, and this is part of what all of us in this part of the world are doing, is trying to figure out what it is we can all collectively besides, do well. Besides the, again, I'm going to the stigmatized grape that people expect to come out of an area like South Jersey, right? Right. Um, so you're, you're trying to become more refined. And not to say pretentious, but you're really trying to take your skills and abilities to bring everything up to another level well, to say, yeah. we can do this here. Well, absolutely. And, but, but part of the trick is finding what works. So, like, when you go to the Finger Lakes, they've got their grape. Riesling. Yeah, a little bit of Verstraminer, a little Pinot Noir in the right, with, if the, in the banana belt, they call it, I guess, right near uh, the part where the lake is deeper and they can, you know, that, that microclimate. So we're trying to figure out what grapes we grow. I mean, you can't force anything. You know, that's, that's the one thing. You can't force Mother Nature. You can't force um, the grapevines to do something they don't want to do. So for us, it's for us trying to find the grapes that we think do best. And again, all of us in New Jersey are trying to figure that out. And we're isolating them. I think Chardonnay is one of those grapes, even though it's an absolute struggle to grow. Um, I think uh, Cabernet Franc is one of those grapes. Um, Petit Verdot, which we absolutely love, is one of those grapes. Which is, And those two are, are Bordeaux grapes, Franc and, and uh, Petit Verdot. Um, in our little part of the world here, because we're so close to the Delaware River, we can really grow Merlot and do a really good job with that. And I've got our Cabernet Franc blend and our Merlot blend, blend to show you. Um, so we're, we are, little by little, we Auburn Road and us, the industry, isolating the things that we think we can really do and, and that can make us special and make us stand out a little bit. Um, in like Cabernet Franc, for example, we'll talk about it more when we taste Gaia, um, but our Cabernet Franc and our Cabernet Franc blend is different than a Loire Valley Cabernet Franc because Loire Valley they tend to be a little bit brighter, a little bit fruitier, um, and then which is you know 
south of Paris, but way north of Bordeaux. And then in Bordeaux, they tend to be deeper and more profound and higher in alcohol and a little, little jammier. Ours kind of sits in the middle, which is cool because it is not a Loire Valley Cabernet Franc. It is not a Bordeaux Cabernet Franc. It is an East Coast, a maybe a New Jersey, a garden, you know, outer coastal plain. But here's the, here's the thing. What you've just done is identify that even in New Jersey, South Jersey, there are now microclimates oh, gosh, yeah. to say that this area is more friendly. Yeah. To this grape, this varietal, it's good. you're going to get a different characteristic, even if somebody's growing, like you said, making a Pinot Grigio here within 10 miles of the Delaware River versus maybe closer where Cape May is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right by the Delaware, right by the Atlantic Ocean. Yep. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, Cape May certainly has a microclimate down there, and they've actually des- des- designated themselves their own, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, viticulture, ABA, down there. So they're, they're the, um, what do they call it, the Cape something, AVA, and then we're the Outer Coastal Plain, and they're part of that, but they're a sub-AVA inside of the bigger AVA. So, like, if you go to Sonoma, there's, like, 17 Oh, yeah, AVAs, I mean, that's you know, what like, I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, but, right. but I never, in my mind's eye, in my in my conception of South, it's South Jersey. Yeah, 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 right. But, but you've taught me, and, and the listener, a lot of stuff. Oh, it's cool. Now, again, what I will tell you is, this Pinot is, it, it's fresh, it's crisp, it's light. On the nose, I got more honey, or I got more fruitiness that was more heavy, in my yeah. nose yeah. than I did on the palate. It's a very I get that light too. That's cool. Right? I like that. Yeah. It's a very light. Um, I, I, I don't want to say, you know, I, I always seem to get grapefruit, but it's it's. I'm getting the skin, but but not the bitter part of the skin on there. Yeah, that's that's what the finish is, and I guess that's some of the acidity that comes yeah. off the grape. It is, and I, I that that's actually one of the things I absolutely love about it is the is the brightness. I actually you know, last night uh, Jules and I had a bottle of. Um, Hawk Havens 2020 uh, Pinot Grigio. Outstanding. Very different than this one. And actually, we drank it all before we could compare it to ours, just because, just to kind of see how the two stood up for one another. It, but it was it was excellent. Um, a, a little more fruit, good for them, because it, I think they got a little more fruit on theirs than, than we did. Um, ours had a little bit more of a brighter acidity to it, which I, is, is definitely a, um, a winemaking choice that Jules made, mostly, I think, at my prodding. Um, but so they, they are both, I think, exceptional examples of Pinot Noir. I'm sorry, Pinot Pino Grigio. Grigio. <laughs> um, but they are, but they are very different, and they really do, I think, reflect their winemakers, and I think they reflect the the differences that you get in the little microclimate. Look, and you guys don't, yeah. you don't want it to taste the same. Oh no, gosh, no. you want to have your own personality. Yeah, exactly. what would you pair this with? Besides, look, yeah. I see great pizzas coming out of here all the time. Yeah. Besides pairing yeah. this with a great pizza, you got like a, a, a wood burning, yeah, a, a, a wood, wood fire pizza, wood oven. fire pizza oven. Yeah, you make amazing. Like, this is like that whole going back to like your experience in Italy. Yeah, I mean, if you closed your eyes, I mean, you really could take in some of those experiences you had in Italy and really recreate them. You have recreated them here. Yeah, no, that that was deliberate. Yeah, that that part wasn't an accident. We did that on purpose. But uh, in terms of what this would go with, um, we actually had, well, we had the one we had last night with, um, we do this um, uh, roasted salmon with like a a teriyaki and um, um, 
broccoli and you know greens on it, and it's all just one big pan. You put it in there, and it just you know bakes for about it's not roast; it's baked. Uh, bakes for about twelve minutes, and it's light. It's you know it's you know it's it's got a little bit of that tang from the teriyaki, and then you have the Pinot Grigio, which has got the bright acidity to it. It was absolutely. Send Scott an email; he'll send you the recipe. I'll send you the recipe. Um, or the recipe. for the right amount of money, he'll even start I, to uh, send you, send the food. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now this brings up point. Um, People in South Jersey, Delaware, New York, Maryland, Pennsylvania, they can come to the winery. Yeah. What's the ability to ship, or is it all picking up? No, we can ship. Uh, That was a battle of five or six years ago that we as an industry undertook. Um, But yeah, we can ship. um, Can't ship the Delaware because they don't allow it out or in. Um, So so long as this this is the old dormant commerce clause thing. So as long as... Uh, the old constitutional law background comes in handy. I know, so, it's spoken like an attorney. Yeah, so, so so long you can't discriminate against out-of-state interests. So so long as you don't let anybody ship in or you don't let your guys ship out, it's cool. And that's what Jersey used to be. We fought that. We won. So now we can ship out. And so we, Auburn Road, ship to Pennsylvania and to Maryland presently and to New Jersey, of course. Um, free shipping after over six bottles, I guess. And then we're working on getting into New York, New York State. Um, and Delaware still, you still can't. Uh, but yeah, I mean, ship, shipping is actually, again, in the age of COVID has been a, right. A big, and I, and I think, you know, with, with somebody that's going to listen to the podcast and hear, you know, look, what we've introduced is that come to South Jersey, come to this mid-Atlantic yeah. wine region, so to speak, right? And enjoy some great wines. Yeah. So, well, and honestly, I mean, and, and the other wineries get nuts when I say what I'm about to say, um, but a lot of what we're able to offer has everything to do with this, right? As the, and I'm, when I do say this, I mean the, the, the environment, the courtyard, the right? location. The, we have tables that go up into the vineyard so you can actually sit amongst the vines. You know, we are, you know, we're, we're close to home. So a lot of what we do really is on a certain level agritourism. And, um, you know, is the wine good? Yeah, I, I think it's great. And, and a lot of the wineries are doing really, are making really good wine. But at the end of the day, you know, does the world need another bottle of wine? Yes. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe yes. not. All right. Yes. <laughs> but but part of part of what we're able to do though is we're able to give you the full experience close to home. And the other thing I think that makes what we do important is that is the whole locavore thing now, right? Because people care where they're locavore. Locavore. All right. This is a new word. It's a new word. Okay. So like local eating locally, eating and drinking locally. So knowing where your food comes from. Like we, like our neighbors next door that have the lambs. Uh, that I was going to say, when you start seeing lamb on the pizza, we know where that came exactly. from. Exactly. <laughs> well, they, they, they have chickens. We used to have chickens, but the hawks ate them. But they have chickens, and they put eggs out uh, on their, you know, on the front of their driveway with a little honor box. And Jules and I will walk out there, grab some eggs, drop a couple of dollars in the honor box, and you know where the eggs came from. And they're beautiful eggs, and they taste amazing. But people care about, you know, where their food comes from. And they care what goes into it, and they care who's making it, and they care. You know, we can't be organic here completely just because of the climate we're in. Um, but we are very cautious about what goes into making this. And there's no, you know, weird additives that go into this stuff. You know, there's no, you know, you know, things that people, you know, let's say out in California or over in Europe when they want to bring something to the states, they put things into the wine to make it taste the way they think. Well, it's the, the same thing, and I don't want to get too far off that. Yeah. But it's same thing, like if you've been to Ireland or to. Paris or to France or to I mean the bread tastes different yes I mean yeah from what we have here yeah. you know from the flour and the gluten and all that other stuff yeah that's but but again that's what makes it so wonderful to come to a place where you know yeah. where everything was grown and how everything was treated and created yeah, exactly and I, and I think that's 
above everything else, at least in my opinion, is that's the, that's the thing that makes us attractive. And the fact that you can take this home and take the experience home with you. But you feel like you're you're engaged in this, yes. like you're part of this, and you get to meet me and Jules and the rest of the crew. Yeah, and you come out and say hi. And yeah, yeah, we try been? to. I'm usually yeah. usually I'm busting the tables, right. right? So like so that I think that's a, that's a big piece of of what we're able to offer to people. And this is something else I say that makes people nuts. But um, there isn't a winery on the planet, and I don't care who where they are. I mean, they could be in California, they could be in Bordeaux, they could be in you know, Burgundy, not a winery in the planet, that all other things being equal, just for the point of view of being from a marketing and sales point of view, that wouldn't want to be exactly where we are. Because we are within easy driving distance of millions and millions of people and millions of millions of people that are purchasers and appreciators of high value wine, right? I think New Jersey is the highest, highest or rated the highest state in terms of Wine buying per dollar amount of you know how much oh, wine I didn't know costs. That. Yeah, like North Jersey, obviously not down here, but yeah. <laughs> um, but like we are, we are the closest wine region to New York City, like where you're sitting right now. We're closer than the Finger Lakes, certainly. To get to uh, the North Fork of Long Island, you've got four hours of murder traffic. We're at the foot of the uh, of the Parkway here. Uh, uh, yeah, of, of the Turnpike. You can get here from New York City in an hour and forty five minutes. See, that's important to know. Yeah. So again. Make this a destination yeah. because it's so accessible. We got DC, Philadelphia, yeah. New York, yeah. the surrounding area, right. just to come out and just enjoy really good wine. Yeah. So my next question is, yeah. what's the next? One? Oh, what's next? <laughs> That's an easy one to answer. So the next one we I have love here, the art, by the way. And this is like, what, what's the name of this one? This is Gaia. Gaia. So this is Mother Earth. Gotcha. Right? And so, this is great because yesterday was Earth Day. It was Earth Day. Why didn't we do the podcast yesterday? I know. I know. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I love the artwork. That's so this, amazing. This is all Carolyn. So um, Carolyn is um, – she's our artist. She's our artist in residence, Carolyn Mortimer. She's absolutely brilliant. Local woman. She lives right up the street here. Uh, taught art in uh, in high school for 40 years and uh, probably something close to that. And now she's retired and now she's our artist in residence and does all of our labels. And she did uh, our wall over there for Earth Day and everything else. Um, and uh, she's just absolutely brilliant. And um, so – this this is her rendering of Mother Earth on the label, and so what this is is mainly, Dawn's already like I know, she's like I love this, stuff. this is great, this is cool. yeah. So this this is I have to read the bottle unfortunately because Jules isn't here, but it's seventy eight percent Cabernet Franc, fifteen percent Merlot, and seven percent <clears throat> Petit Verdot. But Cabernet Franc is the main grape in this, and it is. Um, oh, I love I love the sound of the. the glug, 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 glug. I know that's, that's great, isn't it? There you go. Um, this, this is where you you start making people's mouth water yeah. from just you can just keep pouring that just all day. Pouring. <laughs> yeah. It's a beautiful ruby, it's like sapphire color to it. Yeah, no, it, it's a beautiful wine. It really is. And we have two um, uh, vineyards of Cabernet Franc. One is older, probably about ten, no, maybe fifteen years old. Um, so it's a, a fairly mature vineyard. Um, our other, the other vineyard is fairly new, so it's about seven or eight years old. So we generally try to take the best of all of that and bring it into and that's why we make blends by the way is that it gives the winemaker lots of tools right it gives you know so you're you're not as beholden to the seasons which is the reason that most of the wines the great wines of the world are generally blends i mean you know bordeaux is a blend of upwards of five grapes and i think they just nominated two new ones to add in so i mean it's that's why we do it and that's why a lot of times you'll see it here on the east coast things being blended um well, but to your point and what you said about the idea of the grape tells you where it wants to go, right? Mm-hmm. That blend 
tells you at the end of the day what the destination is supposed to be. Yeah. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Yeah. And, and you know, you want things to stand out and just come to harmony with everything else. Yeah. No, I think that's true. And, and we're able to add – and there's no formula, by the way. I mean, it's all tasting. It's all – what works and you know and and um and so we we you know this is it's, it's a job it's not a hard job but it's a job you know we spend weeks and weeks and weeks and usually over the course of the many months because this will be an oak barrel probably for about two years uh the parts of it will um so we take lots of weeks in between all of that tasting it as it's aging in barrel and she'll move around from barrel to barrel to barrel like it'll start out maybe in you know brand new French oak and then she'll taste it and like, it's getting too much of that, maybe move it into three-year-old Hungarian oak or, you know, four-year-old American oak or depending on what she wants it to do and then we bring the pieces all together because everything ferments and ages separately and we blend it all together at the end um, all based on taste, all based on aroma, all based on color uh, and that's where, again, the art of wine making, right? That's the art of blending uh, and the art of bringing it all together um, which, you know, Jules and, and, uh, and Eric and, and the crew are extraordinarily good at. This is, I, I, I'm sitting here and I appreciate the description and the evolution of this wine because something like this, enjoying just continually coming back on the nose, yeah. it's really, it's really fine. Oh, thank it you. It really is. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, you know, I, I get a little bit of the oakiness that comes out, some, some cherry notes to it, some stone fruits like plums, um, a little bit of apricot, something sweet's in there. There's like this sweet note to that, like a sweet fruit, like a strawberry maybe that goes oh, in yeah, and I, out. I, I, yeah, I definitely, the, the Franco always gives me a little bit of strawberry, which I love. It's completely dry, by the way. So, you, like, you can't really smell sugar, obviously. So, it's, you know, the, the wine itself is dry. So, all of what you're getting is you're fruit. You're getting fruit, which is great. Yeah. yeah. What was that one with Stone and Key? That one, I, I, now I'm drawing a blank that they told us about this one fruit, and now I don't remember. We'll have them on the podcast next week. We'll talk to them about that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's wow. Yeah, that's so this, just a label. This is, is twenty seventeen. So the um, the eighteen we are going to be bottling June, I think. So this is the seventeen, and it's uh, just about gone. There's a dryness that comes at the end, but not that just sucks everything out of your mouth. Yeah, it almost opens back up, and you get this mouth watering feel that you just want more to it. Yeah, the the, the finish is nice. Yeah, and that mouth watering is nice too. Although it kind of makes you drink it too fast sometimes. <laughs> You have to you have to make sure to put the glass down and pick it back up again just to pace yourself. <clears throat> but that's a good that's a really good observation to to the, the tasting notes of this wine and and the experience that you're going to have that you just want more. Yeah, it, it it's just what did I just have? I want more. I want to try that again. This is this is a very again. I mean, I'm going to be one of those people right now, Scott. To say, I didn't know that New Jersey wine could taste as good. Oh, I appreciate and, that. And, and I'm sure that, you know, that, that does that make me sound unintelligent? I mean, oh, no. it's just, I, I think it's just this perception yeah. that we have. Yeah. And and maybe it's just the the, the, the education that we as a consumer, that, that, you know, for Dawn and I, and yeah. I'm not going to speak for Dawn because... But I just did. <laughs> but I would say that, you know, just that perception of, uh, you know, New Jersey yeah. wine. This is leading the way or you're, you're, you're on that track and path well, to change that. people's perceptions. Well, and, and, and I, I know I said before that it was, you know, part of the challenge. And it is. But it's also it's a blessing and a curse. I mean, it's, it's a curse in the sense that, yes, you have to keep explaining and stop people from laughing. Yes, we are New Jersey. But at the same time, it's super fun, though to get the reaction like we just got from you which is wow 
<coughs> this is this is no joke. Like, I mean, there's this there's this bold. I'm just getting this bold, like a blackberry, just kind of a flavor to this right now. Awesome. It wasn't there before. It's it just cool. it, it all of a sudden it's like well, it opens up a little because I just opened. It, it, yeah, I know. Like, that's what I'm saying. It, yeah. The wine that we're just experiencing now, and and I think the enjoyment of drinking a bottle of wine is when you watch this orchestra and you start to bring up different instruments. I mean, this from yeah. your musician background, yeah. Yeah. when you start to bring up some of those sections of instruments, yes. the, you know, the, the, the whole orchestra plays in harmony together, yeah. but then you start to highlight different sections of the orchestra. And that's where I think that journey for this wine is coming right now. That's a great analogy. Yeah, I like that. You know, it's like the, the conductor. Yeah. You're the conductor and you're, 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 you're talking Italian by waving your hands and you're, <laughs> you're bringing up that, that, that aspect. Like, oboes, it's your time now. That's right. That's right. That's awesome. That's no, this cool. is great. This is delicious. I mean, cool. you only, how many? So, how many different wines do you produce right now? <laughs> um, not altogether that many. I, we, we've tried to like. I, I'm one of those people. When you go into a restaurant and the menu's huge, it terrifies me because it's yeah. It's like they they can't be doing anything well if they're doing all of this. So, if there's only a few things on the menu, I generally feel like all right, these guys they're focused. They know what they're doing. So, we make about 14 different varieties approximately. Um, and you don't always have them throughout the year. There she is. There she is. This is Jules. Oh my God! She just she just showed up. <laughs> well, hold on. We're gonna pause. So Julianne has joined us. She was out looking at sheep, and uh, she's she's now joined us. But this is like this has been you know even talking a little bit off um, off the podcast and learning more about you and what you do. Um, and this is like we we just said this is the most you sat down at your own winery. Oh yeah, in seventeen years. Oh easily. <laughs> Easily, yeah, easily. Well, it's funny, even though, and, and like I said, we had done this so that we could work together. And um, the weird thing is, yes, we are here on the same large farm together every day, but we usually see each other in the morning, and then we see each other at lunch. We try to make a point of getting together, even if it's for like 10 minutes at lunch, and then we don't see each other for most of the rest of the day because she's making wine, or she's giving the vineyard guys direction, or I'm either in the vineyard, or I'm out selling the wine, or doing whatever it is I do. And, um, and so we make it a point of getting together at the end of the day. So we, we usually try however long the day is, and usually it doesn't end until about six or seven at night. But then we make it a point, even before we start thinking about dinner, to sit down um, and our, our drink of choice actually is Campari, you know, Campari, right, with a little splash of water and an orange and whatever. So we will sit and have a Campari, and that'll be sort of the end of the workday. So we'll talk about our respective days and what we've done and things that we haven't had a chance to compare notes about. And then once that Campari's done, done talking about work. And then we make dinner, we, you know, hang out with the kids, we do whatever it is we do and be normal people for a little while. And usually that, by the time dinner's over, it's 10 o'clock at night because we don't even start making dinner until 10 So that's, again, that, that's yeah. your roots to Europe and Italy because they don't start yes. eating until like 9 o'clock at night anyway, that's right? What I, that's what I always keep saying. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, yeah. That's yeah. a great, so, so what do you call it? Campari time? Yeah. Or, more or less. Happy hour. Happy hour. Happy hour. Yeah. It's well, about time for a compare, right? Yeah, right, yeah, right. I mean, we're getting there right now, isn't it? It's getting <laughs> close. There are times we skip over compare. Yeah, okay. Like if we're drinking wine and yeah, we've already started with that. Tonight, so that'll make dinner easy. But I, I have one more sheep stop. I'm going to go over there. That's right. So, right. so Julianne's going to do more sheep stopping. What's the next wine that you brought that okay. we can share? Well, actually, it's, it is fortuitous. That Gaia this, was incredible. So far, oh, the Pinot you. Grigio and the <laughs> Gaia. This is so. This is Julia. Julia. This, this is named after the winemaker. Okay. Right? And uh, and actually, if you look at the label, so there's, there's a painting that hangs in the Enoteca um, that is the Julia label. And actually, Jules 
posed for it. So it is. It looked a lot more like her when she when Carolyn originally did it, and Jules made her paint her bangs over her face. So it wouldn't it, look too it, much what, like her. All right, who's that artist? Uh, the Kiss. Le, who who is the artist that did the Kiss? You're thinking of. Uh, what is it, Clement? Clint, Clement, Clement, or Clint. or Rodan? Or... No, no, like I, I don't know. It looks somewhat like that. Whatever that was, yeah, yeah that's, <laughs> that's that's awesome. That's beautiful. There is that one that has mosaics built into. That's what I'm thinking. That's yeah, Clement, I think. Okay. His name is K L I. Okay. No, that's what it kind of looks like. Again, your your wine pouring skills of getting that sound just perfectly cool, on the microphone it? is is awesome. So talk about this blend. And, and what we're going to be drinking now. So this, and I'll, I'll let Jules pick this up a little bit, but basically when we... She didn't want to talk, Scott. You know what will happen? I'll say something wrong, and then she'll be like, yeah, no, 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 that's not how it goes. Okay. But so I'll, let, me, let me start anyway and see how far I get. But this, this is actually something that we sort of conceived of on purpose, um, as opposed to some of the others where we're just trying to make the best wine we could out of the grapes that we had. Julia was really meant to be, and in the next years and iterations will be, sort of the all the tools in the winemaker's toolbox. So um, whatever the best of whatever we've got that we can bring together and do interesting things with, maybe a place for her to do a little experimenting and try to be a little bit, you know, outside of the box and whatever, however, whatever all of that means. Um, I, I tend to, to speak in riddles and metaphors, and she somehow understands it. So. Um, that's that's so what, Julia. Yeah. Over time, you can have a 2018 will be different to a 2019 to a 2020. So it, it, it's really going to have a lot of different characteristics. Very likely, yeah. To each individual bottle, yeah. The motivation was to make a more. The motivation was to make a uh, more premium Merlot. So the base is always going to be Merlot. And we were just finding that we, we kept planting Merlot grapes and they were just doing so well here. But each location had different flavors. So we just kept studying about the right bank in France and you know what's their soil like and what are they doing there. And what guided us was uh, that first grape, the, the Merlot. Um, this vintage is, I think, the first. And what we what we did with this was we just played around with tannins, um, really trying to extract different tannin structures out of the, the wine and the grapes when we process them. So that was kind of the, the tool that we were playing with. And then the next year we did other things with it. So yeah, I get. I get like a, a, an earthiness on the nose a lot that comes out of this. That's really, and there's a floral note to it. Yeah, there's like a this dark cherry like, from below. But I feel like I just walked through a garden. Yeah, like just it's rained, but everything's starting to like re re come back again. That's cool. Yeah, you know when everything closes up and the rain's so heavy and it just kind of dampens everything out. That's what I get from this. That's nice. Again, and Julie, Julian, you just joined us again. On, but I, I was saying that there's such an experience, just even on the nose of your wines. You know, just just enjoying that, even before you get to the tasting of the wine, because a lot of times you, you get some characteristics to wine on the nose, and it's just kind of like, all right, I'm, I'm done. Let, let's move on. But there's so much that continues to come back on your wines each time you nose the wine. Did that on purpose. That, that was after 17 years that was the plan right yeah. so what can people expect when they come to your winery your vineyard your enoteca right what can they expect when they come here 
Oh gosh! Besides um, incredible wines, yeah, and and seeing you guys running around and busting tables, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> um, I mean, the, the the whole idea, honestly, and as we were discussing, is we want it to be a place that people can come and somewhat escape the everyday, right? So and that's really kind of what it was for us, ultimately, in, in a big sort of way, but without quitting your day job and doing all the insane garbage that we did, you can actually get a little piece of it just by being here. So, you know, we do music on Saturday nights, we do, obviously, the wood fire pizza, we, you know, we, we have, um, you know, it, it, it's really whatever you bring to it, honestly, and, you know, the... The fact that we're able to be outdoors, especially in this day and age, and the fact that we're able to keep people safe and keep people distanced, and and all of that is is super important. And uh, you know, so that that's really like, and, and you know, again, like we were talking about, I mean, it really is getting to know where your wine is coming from, and getting to know who's making it, and all that goes into it, and seeing where it's happening, and having it happening around you. Like you know, we're sitting here drinking Merlot, and it's growing about a hundred yards away from us. Right, maybe even fifty yards away from us that way. You know, it's 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 doing its thing, right? And we're going to harvest that in twenty twenty one, and it's going to give us an expression of what twenty twenty one was all about. Just like the Pinot Grigio, God bless it, gave us the expression of what twenty twenty was all about. And you know, the, the, I'll tell you what: if that's the expression of twenty twenty, twenty twenty was a better year in the bottle and the wine than it was for a lot of people's you know, experience. You know, you, know, you, know, you, know, you know what's funny though, brother, is that we've we've talked a lot about this. Is that 2020 was, I mean, it was, you know, like Nietzsche on steroids, right? It's like whatever doesn't kill you, make you makes you stronger. Yeah. But it, I, th- I think it was even for us even more than that, is that it was it was challenging and it was stressful. Um, and, and actually, I now that Jules is here, um, I'll, I'll mention briefly that the last sort of big kiss on the cheek that 2020 gave us on the way out in December was she was diagnosed with breast cancer. Okay. On, uh, in, in December of 2020. So we spent most of this past winter dealing with that. She's great now. She'll be fine. She's, you know, all fixed up for the most part. Um, but we were, you know, honestly, I'm going to look back at 2020 as, and this is going to sound really bizarre, but probably one of the most important, if not the most important year of my life. And I hope that's so important. Yeah. And I hope that people have the ability to see that, how important the year has been through everything we've talked about on the podcast, yeah. through the things we haven't, that you can't look back. Like, everybody was so, we talked about this, just because you flip the calendar yeah. doesn't mean 2020 and the experiences went away. Right. January 1, we still were dealing with the same thing. Yeah. But the fact that you recognize how important that year is. Oh, yeah. No, Again, was, that goes from the beginning of the podcast, how insightful and retrospective and how um, mindful you were from the process of even opening up this winery. Started, yeah. I guess, I, and I hadn't really thought about it that way, but I guess, yeah, I guess we're, we're fortunate in that respect. Um, because it, it, cause it really, it really, and I think part of that led us to doing that, doing this, but being this has even sort of broadened our perspectives more. When you, when you roll with the seasons and when you, you know, when you watch the sun come up and greet it every morning, as I always try to, I actually wave to it and, and I wish, you know, say goodbye to it when it leaves it in the evening. You know what I mean? Like you really get a, a, a different perspective on things and, and that, you know, and, and that's, it's, it's interesting to think about it the way you just said it. Cause I hadn't ever actually thought about it that way. Um, but it's true. It really is. I, think that look i'm blessed dawn and i are blessed and we're grateful this is our little adventure this is our passion we get to meet you and and just 
seeing what you guys do together and what you've created from a bad home bottle, a, a bad home winery experience, <laughs> you know, to what you've done today is is phenomenal. It's a credit to you and, and just, it's you're going to figure it out. You're going to keep moving forward through it. This wine is delicious again. I mean, you, I'm sure you have other wines that you could have brought out, but this is another great wine. What I'm really enjoying out of this is there's like this, this pepper note. I don't know if it's pink peppercorn or green peppercorn or black peppercorn. What I mean, Julian, as, as far as the winemaker, what, what are we experiencing there? Oh, wow. I'm a, I'm, yeah, I'm a pretend chemist. Um, yeah, the, the Woodfield Vineyard Merlot, which is up the road, is has this very distinctive bramble kind of smell and flavor to it. And I call it bramble. I'm not even quite sure what that would mean, but... There's but that, you just that, gave me a visual, and I I, I yeah. identify with that. I know yeah. exactly what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, so it's, it's like a it's almost like a wild hedgerow of, of fruit and stems and earth, and it's just that very it's just so pervasive in in the Woodfield Merlot. Um, I don't I, let me taste it. <laughs> <laughs> Go try your wine. <laughs> When so you talked about while you're trying the wine, people can expect they're going to come back here. You have open mic night. You have live bands. You have yeah. this great wood fired pizza. Yeah. You've got this open air. You got the vineyard. You're doing movies outside in, in, in the wintertime, Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And are there any other things that you know when people are coming to the winery and, and the vineyard, what they can expect? Gosh. Um, well, the other thing that we do that most other places don't do is we are entirely table service. So, you know, there's no jostling around at a bar. There's no walking around aimlessly trying to figure out what happens next. You walk in and reservations. Somebody seats you. Somebody yep. seats you, and our servers are the are the best there is, and they take super good care of you. And everything you could possibly want, well, within reason, they will bring you. And all you have to do is sit there and enjoy each, each other's company, um, you know, like I said, be there with your kids and your grandma and your dog, and you don't have to worry about anything else. And that's it's like a mini vacation. It's like a mini vacation. I love that. It you is. know what? It is. That's a great way to you know. Other than you guys opening up the bed and breakfast, um, <laughs> which which if I give you more ideas, you may try that. I, may, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. So what did you get out of that wine? Now that you tried your wine. Oh gosh, putting me. I'm on putting the spot you on the spot. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's a softness that's come about with this wine that I haven't tried this in months but uh, I'm really enjoying it so the, the black pepper that's interesting because it does sit next to a cab franc up there I don't know um, getting oh, that's interesting okay. it's, it's like this yeah. light it's, and that's why I said I don't know if it's a black pepper or you know one of these days I'm just going to sit down and chew black peppercorns and pink peppercorns and green peppercorns so I can I can understand the nuances and the differences yeah. but there's that but it's not an over like um, it's, it's not this over punch of pepper that like I always like when we talk about like rye right. rye whiskey you know that if I'm drinking a rye whiskey I want pepper on the on the mouth and I and that's what I want to enjoy it's it's not the heat of the pepper it's actually the the, the flavor of the pepper that comes out of there and there's a lot more soft sweetness to this as well that just rounds it out so. Um, I have not sucked on pink pepper corn. <laughs> but, That's um, another t-shirt idea. I, I always love the t-shirt ideas. <laughs> I have not sucked on pink pepper corn. <laughs> Don't judge me. Uh, no. <laughs> oh, man. But uh, definitely they, they got the floral aspect to the wine as well. 
I love the meet the winemaker segment that we're just flying ourselves into. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> this is great. Look, I know you, you, you spent a lot of time with us today and appreciate the chance to meet you both and sit down and talk wine and your vineyard and learn more about you. This has been a treat for us. Uh, you know, I, we're, we're grateful for your time. We're grateful for your wines. This is like we, we've, we've had a little afternoon vacation here. That's and, awesome. uh, you know, we, we, we enjoy it. And one of the things that Don and I talk about is that we get to meet really fascinating, interesting people and, and people that work hard because you're a 17-year overnight success, Right. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> you know, kind and of. you could have stopped. Yeah. And if you had, we didn't get a chance to have this experience with you. So thanks for doing what you're doing. We look forward to just seeing you guys again and, and seeing more bottles and more artwork and more Spotify playlists and That's awesome. just great, tasty, delicious wine. So thank you. Well, we, we appreciate that. And we appreciate what you guys do too, by the way, because you actually, I mean, sitting here and talking about it um, and, and seeing your enthusiasm, not just for us, but just for what you guys do. Is it, it fires us up? You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's 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 very cool because, like like you say, we never get a chance to sit down and absorb it. So to be able to sit down and do that and get excited about it again and get excited about what you guys do and what we do is, I mean, that's what it's all about. So I'll tell you what, we have a standing date next every Friday. We'll come Done. and we'll fire you up. We'll come. <laughs> we'll do a podcast episode every Friday. Excellent. I'll bring the wine. <laughs> Great. We'll, we'll, be, we'll be like Obama and uh, Springsteen. I'll bring we'll the microphone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys. You got it. Thank you.